Hello, welcome to the podcast at Chesbro Baptist Church. This morning, we're continuing in our series on Joseph. This is week five. The title of the message this morning is The School of Affliction. We come to Joseph and find him in prison. Please enjoy. Uh, Genesis chapter 39 this morning. Genesis chapter 39. We're continuing in our series on the book of uh, Genesis and the life of Joseph. Genesis chapter number 39. Uh, This morning we're going to begin reading in verse number 20 and read through verse number 23. One last time, if you're physically able, I'm going to ask you to stand respect and reverence to the word of God. We'll read our scripture, pray, and then sit back down. The Bible says in Genesis chapter 39 and verse number 20, And Joseph's master took him and put him into prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. That which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray the Holy Spirit on this place this morning. Lord, I pray the power of God on the Word of God as it's preached. I pray for the hearts and minds of the people in this building today. I pray that you'd clear our thoughts and help us to focus on the Word of God and to focus to the message that the Holy Spirit has for us this morning. Let us listen closely to the words that you would have us hear. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. The title of the message this morning is The School of Affliction. The School of Affliction. You know, I really, I really, really enjoyed high school. Almost, I enjoyed high school almost to the, to the point where when, if, I, if someone asked me, Brother Brett, what is like your only regret? I, I guess I wouldn't necessarily cause it a regret, call it a regret. But it is something that if I had a chance to do over, I would do a little differently. I graduated from high school a year early. I graduated, I was supposed to graduate in the year class of 2000. I graduated at 16 in 1999. I did it just because I could. But if I had it to do over again, I spent that extra year in high school. You know, I'd have spent another year in high school with my friends you know, hanging out in school instead of being kicked out into the real world a year early. But, uh, you know, that year I went to Southwest Community College because I really wasn't old enough to go off to Bible college like I wanted to. And then after that year, uh, I went to a college in Indiana. I went to a Bible college in Indiana. I said, Brother Brett, Why'd you go all the way to college and all the way to Indiana for Bible colleges? There are Bible colleges down here. Well, that was a church that I surrendered to preach in. I was at a youth conference. I'll give you a little bit of my testimony this morning. 
I was at a youth conference when I was 13 years old in Hammond, Indiana. Hammond, Indiana is right outside Chicago. It's basically a suburb of Chicago. In fact, Lake County, where Hammond is located, is the only county in Indiana that's on the central time zone because everybody works in Chicago that lives there. And so uh, I went up there, I was 13 years old, I surrendered to preach. And so when I graduated high school, God called me to be a preacher. I'm like, that's where I want to go to Bible college. So I drove up to Hammond, Indiana, and that is where I went to Bible college. I went to a Bible college up there called Howes Anderson College. And it was one of the best times I'd ever had in my life. I wouldn't take anything for those years at Howes Anderson. I made friendships to last a lifetime. And uh, my friends are still today, we're still friends. We met up there. And uh, I had a, a church bus route in the city of Chicago. So I go to Chicago every weekend. And, you know, some of the things you like about Chicago is, is you like the food and the people and the food and the sights and the food and, you know, just, just a restaurant, deep dish, pizzas. And you go to Navy Pier and chicken parmesan sandwiches and, man, just some good stuff. You know, some good old stuff. And, man, I really liked it in Chicago. It's one of my favorite places. But, you know, that's not to say everything was sunshine and rainbows. One of the things that the church was, the, the college was run by a church, and every college student was expected to go out on the weekends and do ministry work and like the ministry work was the most important thing there. And so I became a bus captain my second, my second semester, my freshman year. On my bus route were two boys, probably nine, ten years old, and their names were Jose and Santiago. And uh, these, I love these little boys. They were, they were really cool. They were funny. And uh, me and my bus workers, sometimes we take them to Navy Pier and just hang out with them. There's some really cool kids. But the church had a Christian school that the bus kids went to. It was called City Baptist. And the thing about it is, the mom, because it was a ministry, the mom really couldn't afford to pay the tuition for the boys to go to this school. It was up to the bus captain to raise the funds to pay their tuition. And when you didn't pay your uh, bus kids tuition or you didn't raise the money to do it, man, you were looked down upon and you're blackballed. And man, it, it, there was a lot of pressure on you to get this bill paid. So I'm very immature. I'm 19. I'm 20 years old. And I don't want people looking down on me. I don't want people making fun of me. And so it comes the end of semester and I, you know, I'm a full, I'm a full time student. I have a full time job. I don't have a lot of time to go sell M&Ms to raise money. So what I would end up doing is I would take my tuition and pay their tuition. And when that would happen, I would lose my semester because I couldn't pay the bill. And I would go to my ministry leaders and I would say, you know, brother so-and-so, this is, this is what happened. What, what do I need to do? And, you know, I, I really needed somebody to tell me, Brett, you really need to pay your school bill. You're up here for college. That's what you really need to do. But kind of instead what I got was, well, 
you did what you had to do, God will provide next semester. And so this went on for a while. And, you know, I, I hate to tell you this, but it, it's part of my testimony. I was at Howes Anderson College for three years and I got 14 credits. Because I would lose semester after semester after semester. Not because I didn't pass my classes, but because I couldn't pay my bill. This got me frustrated. This got me upset. I was frustrated. I was just, uh, uh, I was frustrated. I was discouraged. And I was getting to the point where I was getting done with this whole thing, where I was just looking for a way out. And then one day, I had a roommate. He, you know, this is a very conservative Bible college. It was IFB College, Independent Fundamental Baptist, very conservative. You couldn't have TV in the dorm. Well, this guy, he brought a little TV into the dorm and hit it. And I never watched it with him. He was my roommate. I never watched it with him. I just kind of knew he had it. But I'm busy doing this stuff over here. And, you know, I, I didn't pay any attention to it. And, well, he got caught with it and put on review for expulsion. But because I was his roommate and I knew about it and I didn't say anything about it, I got put on review for expulsion too. And that was all I needed. I backed that Dodge Cummins up to my truck, to, to my dorm room, and I grabbed all my stuff. I threw it into the back of that truck, and I pointed that Cummins down 55 to Mississippi, and I come home. And I told myself, I am done with the ministry. I'm done preaching. I'm done saying I'm going to be full-time Christian service. I'm done with it. I'm going to go home, I'm going to get me a regular job, and I'm done with the ministry, I'm done with preaching. I still go, I still, I'll go to church every once in a while, but man, I'm not going to be involved like I used to. I'm not going to go as faithful as I used to. I'm not going to go every time the door is open. I'm not going to go to every function. I'm not going to go to every Bible study. I'm absolutely, positively, I'm done with this. I'd come across some tribulation, and I quit. Now, what I went through pales in comparison to what Joseph went through. Talk about school of affliction. Joseph went through it. I'm going to continually remind you, so don't get tired of it, I'm going to continually remind you through this series that Joseph is a picture of Christ. As Joseph is a picture of Christ and, and, and Joseph is about to enter this period of great importance in his life. This is for Joseph. This is going to be a time of learning. This is going to be a time of schooling. And it would last for years. And Joseph is an early accurate picture of Christ we begin to see a picture painted in Joseph's life that today we can see very clearly. Now, since Joseph is a picture of Christ, I'm going to read you a verse about Christ that shocked me. I'm going to read you a verse about Christ that when I read it, I had to pick my jaw up off the floor when I thought about the implications of what it meant. And that is Hebrews 5.8. Hebrews 5.8 says, Though he were a son, listen to this, this is about Jesus. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. Wait just a second. 
Okay, let's stop just for a second. Did you hear what that just said? Jesus learned something? I thought Jesus was God. I thought that, 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 that Jesus was omniscient. I thought that even though he was man, he was still fully God. I thought he knew everything already. How could Jesus, who never stopped being God, learn anything? Well, think about it. God enthroned in heaven. How in the world is God ever going to know what it's like to be obedient unless he casts that off and comes down off the throne and humbles himself like Jesus did. That's the only way God is ever going to experience that is if he throws off that throne and he humbles himself and he comes down here and he, just like Jesus did. Now, you mean to tell me Jesus learned to be obedient, so does that mean that he was disobedient? No. Jesus didn't pass from disobedience to obedience. He learned obedience by being obedient. That's how he learned it. Now, Jesus didn't learn how to obey. He learned what's involved in obeying. That's what he learned. See, Jesus already had the information, but he put himself in our shoes to see it from our perspective. See, it's not like he got new information. He's just looked at the same information from a different perspective, okay? And you know what Jesus' teacher was? Suffering. Suffering was Jesus' teacher. And if suffering is fit for the Son of God, then guess what? Suffering's fit for me and you as well. The Bible never teaches that, man, if you have strong faith, you'll never have tribulation, you'll never have trouble. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that strong faith will keep a Christian away from suffering. 1 Thessalonians 3.3 3 says that no man should be moved by these afflictions for yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto. Christians are appointed to affliction. Uh, Acts 14.22 confirming, uh, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. If you're saved, if you're going to enter into the kingdom of God one day, you prepare yourself because affliction's coming. Tribulation is coming. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer him, that we may be also glorified together. Our current Suffering is a prelude to glorification. So that's what Jesus learned through affliction. That's what Jesus learned through suffering. What did Joseph learn? Here's what I have for you this morning. I've got five lessons. I've got five lessons that the school of affliction taught Joseph. Here's lesson number one. He learned that God's delays are not God's denials. 
He learned that God's delays are not God's denials. Genesis 40, verses 1 through 4, if you want to follow along with me. And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had defended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the, but, the, chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them inward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season inward. So Joseph is in prison, and we have the baker, we have the butler, and we have their dreams. Of course, the butler had the dream of the vine and the three branches coming off of the vine. The baker had the dream of the three uh, the three baskets on his head and the crows were eating out of the top basket. And so, uh, you know, but the butler was restored. The baker was executed. Skip down to verse number 21. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again. And he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpret, interpreted to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. Did you know God delays on purpose? Did you know that? This is a mental quandary for us. It's something that our finite minds, we can't quite grasp. We can't quite understand. And we don't understand why everybody else receives blessings when we need them, but we don't, but we don't get the things that we desperately need. Let me tell you something, Christian. In those times, it is our faith that sustains us. It is our faith that gives us hope. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say, it is tragic when a person succeeds before he's ready for it. Joseph is in prison. Joseph is in the refiner's fire. And God is keeping Joseph there because Joseph isn't ready yet. Joseph is in the school of affliction for purpose. And God is working all these things together for his good you know joseph in prison he you know he 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 was learning the realities of the psalmist david and you know uh david said this so many times and you could almost hear it come from joseph's lips psalms 25 5 says lead me in thy truth teach me for thou art the god of my salvation on thee do i wait all the day 2521, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. 2714, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. 37.7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Don't look at other people. 37.9, for evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. 
37, 34. Wait on the Lord, keep his way. He shall exalt thee to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, thou shalt see it. 38, 15. For in thee, O Lord, do I hope thou wilt hear, O Lord my God. 59, 9. Because of his strength, I will wait upon thee, for God is my defense. 62, 5. My soul, wait thou only upon God, for my expectation is from him. Do you think that David knows that God delays? I think he does. And I think Joseph knew it too. That God delays on purpose because He knows you need it. He knows you need it. Joseph was learning this in prison. While God often does delay, let me tell you this morning that His plans are not disturbed when He delays. But you could almost hear Satan whispering in Joseph's ear saying, What about your God now? You could almost hear Satan whispering in Joseph's ear, Hey, Joseph, what kind of God rewards integrity and righteousness and moral purity with prison? What kind of God does that? And what answer do we have to answer the devil back? You know, I would think we learn from Christ the best way to answer the devil back is with the word of God. I think we learn from him that's the best way to answer the devil is throw a Bible verse back at him. And when the devil whispers that in your ear, I got just the verse for you to throw back at the devil. And it's 2 Timothy 1-2 where it says, For I know, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. Let's look at that verse just for a second. I know whom I have believed. When Paul wrote that, he knew what God he was serving. Hey, hey, it's important to know what you believe, but it's also important to know in whom you believe. Let me tell you something. When you know that God is great and you know that and His glory isn't just a theory and His glory isn't just something you've been taught and His glory isn't just a bumper sticker and His glory isn't just a Facebook post, when His glory is real to you and it becomes an irrefutable fact, you will have boldness in your life you never knew you had. But it has to become a fact to you. It can't just be theory has to be a fact. And then the, the verse says, persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed. Paul gave his life to Jesus. And Jesus knew, and he knew that Jesus was able to fully keep it. Let me ask you a question. What have you committed to God? What have you committed to God? Well, what did Paul commit? He committed his mind, his life, his character, his reputation, his life's work. Basically, Paul committed to God everything that was precious to him. Do you know why we have such a hard time when affliction comes our way? You know why? Here's the reason why. Because those precious things, 
we didn't commit them to God, we kept them. And when affliction came and hurt our little precious things, we take it personally. But if I would have taken these precious things and I would have committed them to God and realized they were his to begin with, and I believe that fact, then I'm not going to take it so personally when affliction comes. You see? And then it says that day. What is that day? That day is the day Paul would see Jesus. Whether Jesus come back in rapture or Paul goes to him, it was just that day. Did you know in Paul's day, they looked forward to the rapture so much. So much. That day was so incredibly important to them. They didn't have to set a date to it. They didn't have to say anything about it. They didn't call it anything special. They just called it that day. Because they knew what that day meant. And that day was enough for them. Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question, Christian. Is that day important to you? Is that day, the day you lay your eyes on Jesus Christ, is that day important to you? Well, that would depend on how much you've committed to him. Whether that day is important to you or not. It just depends on how much you've committed to him. Lesson number two. He learned that God doesn't depart when you're in the dungeon. God doesn't depart when you're in the dungeon. Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. When the Lord says, I will never leave you, I will never forsake you, you know what that includes? That includes the most challenging times in your life. That's what that includes. I want you to remember this morning that outward prosperity is not a test of God's presence. That's not a test. Hey, but that's like how we like, that's how we like to measure it, don't we? That's how we like to measure it. Oh, so-and-so got a new bass boat. Oh, God must be good. God is good, isn't he? God has been good, hasn't he? We're so quick to say that. But when we kind of know that circumstances aren't necessarily an indication of God's blessings or lack thereof. But man, that's how we like to measure it. Material gain. That's how we like to measure. Material gain means blessing, and struggle means God isn't there. Well, just look at Joseph's life. Uh, knowing that it was God that sent Joseph to Egypt, why would we expect God to leave him? Uh, Psalm 105 talks a little bit about Joseph. And, and I want you to focus on the he showing that God is in fact in control. Psalms 105.17 says, He, that's talking about God, He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron until the time that His word came, the word of the Lord tried him. He sent him. God sent him into this affliction. And then that word in verse 19, tried, you know what that word means? That word tried, it means refined. It means refined. God had not left him in the dungeon. He was there refining him for future service. 
But I want you to know that in the dungeon, in the prison, in the school of affliction, uh, Joseph is still furthering his education. I want to talk to you now about Romans 5, 3, and 4. Let me read it to you. And not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, patience experience, and experience hope. This is a formula. A formula you are taught in the school of affliction. So let's break this formula down here. First we have tribulation. If your response to tribulation is quitting, then the formula stops right there. But if your response to this tribulation is patience, what is patience? Perseverance, steadfastness, endurance. What happens when you're patient? Well, that, when you're patient, then comes experience. Know what experience is? Experience is character that's been tried and proven. More than just, more than just tried, it's been proven. So I have tribulation, and if I answer that with patience, I will gain experience. My character will be tried. It will be proven. And what does experience equal? Experience equals hope. You know what the hope is? The hope is that I become confident that what I'm going through is in God's plan. And I become confident in knowing what I'm going through is God's will and it will work out for His good. So I have tribulation. If I answer that with patience, I gain experience. So that means, you know what? The, if you gain experience in the valley, that means the valley wasn't a waste. Okay? So then I have that experience. And what that experience will teach me is to have hope. Now I have hope. Now I know God is in control. I know God has a plan. I know that God is doing this for my good. But you know, the Bible can take it a step further. You know what that hope can teach you? Psalms 42, 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Sounds like the school of affliction to me. Hope thou in God. So now we have that hope. For I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. You know what that word countenance means? It means presence. So that hope will show me that even in the valley, I have the presence of God. We feel alone in the valley. When we're in tribulation and trials and we're in affliction and things aren't going our way, we feel all alone. But we have to realize there is something we can do to feel the presence of God. There is something we can do to feel the power of God. I have to have patience. That patience will turn into experience. That experience will turn into that hope. And that hope in the valley. You know, in prison, Joseph learned that the presence of God is better in prison than being out of prison and not having it. Joseph learned 
that having the presence of God and living paycheck to paycheck is better than earning 100 k a year and not having the presence of God. Joseph learned this. If you could have went to Joseph and you say, Joseph, you are free to go, but if you go, the presence of God is not going with you. What do you think Joseph would have said? I think Joseph would have said the same thing that David said in Psalm 51. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. I think Joseph would have chose prison if it means the presence of God. But man, Christians don't do that. Christians get in the valley and they stop coming to church. Christians get in the valley and they quit praying and they quit reading their Bible and they quit tithing and they quit witnessing and they give up and they go off and they do their own thing. God isn't going to help me. God isn't going to do anything for me. I'm done. I'm leaving. But they don't understand. If you could just have some patience, if you just wait it out, you will feel the presence of God even in the valley. And Christians just don't understand that. Lesson number three. He learned that as he was granted mercy, that he too could be giver of the same. Very soon, Joseph is going to be one of the most powerful men in the world. Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison commended to Joseph the hand of all the prisoners that were in the prison. Whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. And the keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. Joseph is being mistreated. He's being abused. He's being held down. Yet he still gave what he had to God. He still gave other people mercy. Not because other people were showing him mercy, but because God was. Because God was showing him mercy, he gave it, he gave it to other people. Like I said before, too many times Christians give up because they're in the valley and they say, what's the point? If God's not going to help me, why try? But you know what we forget about? We forget about that cross. We forget about that cross that he hung on and he bled on and he died on and he sacrificed himself that, that give me way more than I ever deserve if the only thing Jesus ever gave me was salvation and he never blessed me and he never answered another prayer. That would be more than I could ever ask for. It would be more than I deserve. We forget about that cross. A mother came up to Napoleon one day, said, please, I'm pleading, I'm begging for mercy for my son. Napoleon looked at the mom and said, ma'am, your, your son has been convicted of the same thing twice. Justice says he deserves to die. The mom looked back and said, uh, I'm not asking for, for justice. I'm asking for mercy. The emperor Napoleon looked back at the mom and said, he doesn't deserve mercy. 
the mom looked at Napoleon and said, it wouldn't be mercy if he deserved it. I plead for mercy. Napoleon was so impressed by that mother that he said, okay, your son is free. I show him mercy and cut him loose. Man, even in the valley, we can be merciful to others because of the mercy he showed us. Lesson number four, he learned that glory belongs to God. Genesis 40 and verse 8, And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me, I pray you. This ability was God's and not Joseph's. Okay? Had he not learned this in prison, he would not have been able to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. Interpreting your own dream is one thing. Interpreting somebody else's dream is, is, is something else. What was the key to Joseph's success? He became a very powerful, very successful man. What was the key to that? I believe the key to Joseph's success was his, was his focus on God. I think that was the key to his success. Look what he says in Genesis 41, 15. And the Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I have dreamed a dream, and there is none that can interpret it. I have heard it say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. And Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. He put it back to God. You know what you really learn to do in the school of affliction? Is you learn how to use your talent. Is you learn how to use this thing that sets you apart that God gave you. You learn whatever that may be. Whatever spiritual gift, and everybody has one. Some people have multiple, okay? Uh, but whatever spiritual gift that you have... God has given you, the valley is your opportunity to learn how to use it. But what's the key to learning? What's the key to wielding that gift? It is determined on you realizing that the gift is not yours, it is God's. And it's not you doing it, it is God doing it. It's not your ability, it's His ability. So instead of giving up on God... When we're down here, we need to say, God, I'm going through a tough time. Show me how you want me to serve you and give me the ability to do it. Man, we get in the valley and we think the answer is, you know, curling up on the couch with a, a gallon of Bluebell ice cream and putting the jam jams on and turning on Nick at night, okay? And that's, that's how we handle our problems. And, you know, we just kind of watch TV and veg out and that's the answer. That's how we're gonna get through this. We're gonna wallow in our self-pity for a while, but that's not the answer. You know what the answer to getting out of the valley? is work, it's service. Man, you get down to some, some mud, you just lay there, you're just going to stay stuck. But man, if you kick, 
and you crawl and you bite and you squirm and you roll and you give effort, it may take a little while, but eventually you're going to get out. You're going to get out of there. If you didn't get in that place overnight, you're not going to get out of it overnight. Lesson number five. He learned to leave his confidence in God. Genesis 40, verse 14. But think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of his house. It was not inappropriate for Joseph to ask the, the, the butler to remember him. But it wasn't the butler that got him out of prison. Who was it? It was God. It wasn't the butler that got him out. God would deliver him. Skip Genesis 40, 21. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he hanged the chief baker, and in Joseph, as Joseph had interpreted them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forgot him. If your confidence is in man, then your life is a fertile ground for disappointment and bitterness. Regrettably, there are too many people in churches today that look up to a man to be their confidence. And on the flip side of that, there are too many pastors in churches who set themselves up to be the one that people have their confidence in. Hey, if your Christianity is dependent on what I do, you are setting yourself up for failure. Because I am human. And I can't make many promises, but what I can promise you is I will let you down. Because I'm a human and I make mistakes. I may be a pastor, but I'm a human being. And I'm a young pastor, so I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. Okay? I'll make a lot of mistakes. I had a pastor growing up. Many people in the church made him their confidence. So when he had an affair with the secretary, those people left church never to return again. Why? Because they put their confidence in a man and not God. See what Psalms 118.8 has to say. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Let me tell you something about Joseph. Let me make an observation about Joseph's life. Joseph, his, Joseph over and over in his life had been let down by men. His brothers let him down. Uh, uh, Potiphar let him down. The butler let him down. All, he had been let down by men all his life, but yet we don't see in Scripture where Joseph was ever bitter. We don't see in Scripture where Joseph was, was, was ever filled with bitterness or regret because his confidence wasn't in man. You ever think, I, I'm telling you this because I do it, you ever think back to a time when somebody really got on your nerves and they said something to you kind of cross and you walk away and like 10 minutes later you think of the perfect thing to say. 
You're like, man, if I could go back in time, I'd say this. You know? I do that all the time. And years later, you think about that. A decade later, you're like, oh, if I could go back, I would say this. I would say this and then jump back out where I wouldn't mess up the timeline. And uh, so that's what I always think. But let me tell you something. Joseph didn't do that. Joseph didn't sit in his prison cell and just replay injustices that had been done to him over and over and over because his confidence is not in man. His confidence is in God. Man, a lot of times we give people too much weight in what they say to us. And, you know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never hurt me. I don't know who wrote that, but that's a straight up lie. Okay? I can get a broken bone in six months. I can do cartwheels. You know what I'm saying? So, um, but you can say a crossword to me and I'll think about it 25 years later. But you know what? Really, if we had more confidence in God and less confidence in man, we wouldn't just sit there and replay that over and over. Joseph was let down by men, and he still remained faithful. And if he can do it, you can do it too. Micah 7, 7 and 8. Therefore I will look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Enemy, you can do what you want to do. You can say what you want to say. My confidence is not in man. My confidence is not in this world. My confidence is in God. And when I am in the darkness, He will be a light for me. Now let me close by reading this scripture for you. 2 Corinthians 4, 7-18 For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding eternal weight of glory. While we look at things which are not seen, but the things which are, uh, uh, things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. The, the, the trouble and the trial you're going through right now does not even come close to, to the weight of glory that God has for us. I gave up on church. I gave up on preaching. I told myself I will never stand behind a pulpit again. I said those words to myself. I went home and I, my dad gave me a camper. We put that camper behind his house and, and uh, 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 I got a job selling rainbow vacuum cleaners. I could sell one vacuum cleaner and make $400. Sometimes I sell two or three a week. I'm a single guy. That's pretty good money for a single guy. And, uh, you know, I'm selling rainbow vacuum cleaners. I maybe work 15 hours a week. So things are going pretty good. I'm just kind of enjoying life. 
But there's this nagging voice in the back of your head and your heart, a still small voice that says, you know this isn't right. You know you shouldn't do this. You know you should go back. You know a tribulation pushed you away and, and, and you got frustrated and you left. And, but there's this little voice saying, you need to go back. You need to go back. You know what I called you to do. You know what I called you to do. And I kept saying no. And I kept saying no. I'm not going to go back to church. I'm not going to go back to the ministry. I'm I'm not going to go back to preaching. And then one day, I'm at my camper and I'm sitting there. I'm sitting at the house and I'm watching TV and, and I'm sitting in my camper and one day, the Holy Spirit comes to me. He comes to me in a still small voice in the back of my heart and tells me, Brett, tonight is the last night. Did you know you can tell the Holy Spirit no only so much? The Bible says when you quench the Holy Spirit, you can quench it. And you can quench it to the point to where He'll stop talking to you. And the Holy Spirit came to me that night and said, Brent, tonight is the night I'm done talking to you. I've talked to you and I'm blue in the face. Tonight is the last night. I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to tell you anymore what to do. And that thought absolutely frightened me. It scared me to my core. And I was afraid. And I didn't want the Holy Spirit to stop talking to me. Something happened to me that night. Something changed. Something switched back on. I immediately thought I need to call my youth pastor, who is my youth pastor growing up. I need to call him. 22 years old trying to want to talk to my youth pastor from when I was a teenager but he wasn't in Macomb he had moved over to Hattiesburg and it was midnight I couldn't call him but I had to do something I had to do something I had to let the Holy Spirit know that I wasn't done and, and, and I, I had to do something so I got out a piece of paper and I wrote a letter and I put it in an envelope and I looked for a stamp and I had one stamp I put the stamp on the letter. I went out to the mailbox. I put it in the mailbox. I closed it. I lifted up the little flag. And when I lifted up that little flag, I felt just a little bit of peace. A couple days later, my youth pastor called me. He read my letter. He said, Brett, come to the church over in Hattiesburg. I left early one morning. I went over to him. I went to work with him. I went to lunch with him. We did things around the church. We went to the grocery store after he got off work. I drove home. I ate dinner with his family. I came back home late that night. I spent the whole day with him. And we talked and we talked and we talked. And when the day was over, I felt the Lord leading me to go to a college in North Mississippi called Tri-State Baptist College. I went to that college. I paid my bill on time. I got every credit for every class. This was Emily's home church. It's where I met my wife. Now I can remember driving to House Anderson years before, passing through, going through Memphis and looking at that sign that said Horn Lake, Mississippi and thinking to myself, that's such a weird name for a city. <laughs> Little did I know that our first home would be in Horn Lake, Mississippi. I didn't know that at the time. But... The Lord, the Holy Spirit talked to me and I responded. If you're in the school of affliction, you are there for a reason. Were those three years at Howes Anderson a waste for me? I don't think so. If I would have quit, they would have been a waste. 
They would have been a waste if I would have quit. But because I didn't, God taught me things there that would greatly help me in the future. And, and, you know, sometimes learning what not to do is as important as learning what to do. When God sends you to the school of affliction, don't run from it. Learn from it.